morning's scripture reading comes from Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 8, verse 28. If you could stand with me while we hear the word of the Lord. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we do acknowledge that this is Independence Day, but we are completely dependent upon you for all things. We thank you for your word, which is the word of life. And we can go nowhere else but you for that word of life. Lord, be with our worship this morning. We do pray that it would be a sweet-smelling offering to you that your spirit would attend to the preaching of your word and that it would go forth with power and that you would bless Robert as he brings that good news to us. Help us to be attentive to the word with listening ears and give us understanding as your spirit would illumine us. We thank you for this worship this morning in Christ's name. Amen. For most everyone, it's been a hard year, not only here at Evergreen, but at churches, organizations, businesses, families, communities of faith different than our own all across the world. And so as people ask me, how is Evergreen doing, as as I do get asked that question all the time, uh, I've struggled sometimes on how to answer that question. And sometimes I give details about what we have experienced. Sometimes positive details, but not too positive. I don't want to brag. Sometimes negative details, not too negative. I don't want to be overly dramatic about what we've gone through compared to what other congregations have gone through where they don't even exist anymore. But as we consider how we talk about how things are right now, we all feel the limits of either some type of naive optimism. Oh, praise God, everything's just great. And oh, and our country's doing so well. And, and we, we, know, we, we know the feeling of, of that, that seems disingenuous when we get that kind of layer of flattery and optimism laid upon us. And then there's the other side, which just, yeah, everything's terrible. It's always terrible. The world is terrible. The church is terrible. The pastor's terrible. Everything's terrible. And, and, and on and on and on. Both ways are t- temptations, and we sense insincerity from, from both ends of, of, of those descriptions. And we have different emotional reactions to those matters. This week, as I reflected on the plan of God, the will of God for my life, for Evergreen Community Church, from the text, I I asked God, I said, well, what's a better way then to talk about how are things going at Evergreen? What am I supposed to say about that? I think the answer I've settled on for now is ask me in 10 years. 
ask me in 10 years, because it's going to take 10 years to know whether or not we have taken advantage of the opportunities that God has given us over the last year, it's going to take about 10 years to know whether we did that or not. Right now, in the moment, it's sometimes very difficult to know how effective our goals are, our vision. That can be very difficult to understand from a snapshot. So ask me in 10 years how Evergreen Community Church is doing, and hopefully uh, we and a lot more folks will be here to answer that question. We're looking at Romans 8.28 this morning because Romans 8.28 also gives on that other end of the spectrum for many Christians and non-Christians, it's their least favorite verse in the Bible. It's one they really don't like at all. How would you have felt if uh, during the last month or two, there have been three uh, notable uh, families in our community whose children have run away? How would you feel if after that family is spreading information uh, everywhere they can, putting up uh, signs and posters on signs around our community, And if you were to go up to them and quote Romans 8, 28 to them, right in the midst of their greatest fears and struggles over where their son and where their daughter is, you can imagine that this Romans 8, 28 would not be their life verse right at that moment. They would not appreciate that sort of naive optimism is probably the way they would interpret it. But there's other reasons why people reject and don't like Romans 8.28. Let me read it to you and see if you can figure at least one of them out that I picked out. We know that in all things, God works for good to those that love Him who have been called according to His purpose. So let's just say that bad things happen to you, okay? (laughs) I don't know. Let's see if we can imagine a world where bad things might happen to us, and not just one bad thing, but another bad thing, and another bad thing after that, all layered on top of bad things that happened in our childhood and things we're scared of happening in the future. And then you go back and look at this text, and you say, God works for the good of those who love him. All things work for good for those who love him. I wonder if God loves me. Because with all these bad things happening, does God therefore really actually love me or not? Because wouldn't it seem like he would be letting more good things happen to show me his love. That's not the best way to approach the text, you understand, but it is one way we emotionally interact with it that makes Romans 8, 28 for many Christians and non-Christians one of the most hated and despised verses in the Bible because once again, it causes them to doubt whether God loves them because bad stuff keeps happening to them. Now, these approaches to Romans 8, 28, 
are a lot about application. They're a lot about using it in the wrong way, living it out in the wrong way. Okay then, pastor, so you seem so smart about how to live it out in the wrong way. Well, then how do you live it out in the right way? What what does Romans 8.28 then give birth to in our lives? Well, in context, and we see words like calling sprinkled in here to make sure you, you're connecting it to this. In context, Romans 8.28 is God's promise to those whom he has foreknown, whom he has predestined, whom he has called, whom he has justified, and who he will glorify, that all the trouble that all the suffering and all the philosophical questions about good and evil that goes into foreknowledge and predestination, all of these questions, Romans 8, 28 says, will be answered in such a way that in the end, every person, every angel, just imagine this. The angels are up in heaven, and they see God working stuff out. And one says, wow, did you see how that happened for good? I did not see that coming. You guys got to come over here and look at this. Other angels come over, and they're looking at what's going on. Whoa, you won't believe how much good God brought out of this. No way. There's no way he could bring. Whoa, he brought good out of that too. I think that's what awaits us in the future. And that's what we would experience right now if we had that heavenly perspective on what's going on. But I'm talking about now. I'm not talking about then today. How can we live out Romans 8.28 on an emotional level that's healthy, on a practical level that's healthy, in the midst of deadly trials, in the midst of cancer, in the midst of political upheaval, in the midst of a worldwide health crisis. What what would it even look like to do that? I'll tell you what it looks like and what it sounds like. And I want to tell you, it's beautiful. Her name is Jane Marcheski. Marcheski is a believer. She's a graduate of Liberty University. Go Flames. She's just turned 30 years old. Last year, she became unemployed. She went through COVID-19. She got a divorce. She got her third cancer news. For the third time, she has single-digit likelihood of surviving cancer at 30 years old. No one really knew a lot about her until on June 8th, she stepped out onto the stage at America's Got Talent. I just just a couple weeks ago went back and I don't keep up with that. And I, I someone shared something with me about it and I looked at it. 
And when she walked out on stage, she was so skinny, I was afraid she was going to break a, a leg or an ankle, was just going to shear off from the weight of her body on her feet. She was that skinny. It was painful to watch her walk. And she was waving her hands around when she talked, and I was afraid one of them were just going to go. What could it be attached to? It's just skin and not much of that. And then she laughed and she sung a song that she had written called It's Okay. And everybody just cried and cried and cried. And after the song, after everybody sopped up their tears, they were trying to talk to her and they asked her how she's doing, and well, she revealed that her cancer is back, and, and it's in her liver, it's in her spine, it's in her lungs. And then slowly, her story began to, to come out. She began to tell her story. As you can imagine, it's not easy to share the gospel on an edited national television show like that. But nevertheless, if you go back and look at that, you'll see something that is extremely rare that Romans 8.28 in this case gets demonstrated in someone's life so dramatically. While we were complaining about whatever it was we were complaining about last year, she was going through a divorce where her husband was just tired of being married to somebody who was sick all the time. Unemployment, cancer again, COVID-19 again. And she spent three months basically throwing up. And in the middle of doing that, she wrote a song called It's Okay that outlined her faith in God, and her belief that he was working this for her good. She went into more detail on that in a blog entry from March of this year. Her blog entry is called God is on the Bathroom Floor. I want to read just a little bit of that. I spent three months propped against the wall. On nights that I could not sleep, I laid on the, my head on the tub like an insect, staring at my reflection in the shower knob. I vomited till I was hollow, and I rolled up under my robe on the tile to sleep. The bathroom floor became my place to hide where I could scream and be ugly, where I could sob and spit and doze off, happy to be asleep even with my head on the toilet. I've had cancer three times now, and I've barely passed 30. There are times when I wonder what I must have done to deserve such a story. I fear sometimes that when I die and I meet with God, He'll say I've disappointed Him or offended Him or failed Him. Or maybe He'll say that I just never learned the lesson I was supposed to learn and I wasn't grateful enough. But one thing I can know for sure is this. He can never say that he did not know me. 
because I am God's downstairs neighbor, banging on his ceiling with a broomstick. I show up at his door every day, sometimes with songs, sometimes with curses, sometimes apologies, gifts, questions, demands. Sometimes I use my key under the mat to let myself in. Other times I sulk outside until he opens the door to me. I've called him a cheat and a liar, and I meant it. I told him I wanted to die, and I meant it. Tears have become the only prayer I know. Prayers that roll down my nostrils and drip down my forearms. They fall to the ground as I reach for him. These are the prayers I repeat night and day. You can call me bitter if you want to. That's fair. You can count me amongst the angry, the cynical, the hardened, the offended. But you can count me also amongst the friends of God. For I've seen him in rare form. I have felt his exhale. I have laid in his shadow. I have squinted to read the message that he wrote for me in the grout. If an explanation would help, he would write me one. I know it. But maybe an explanation would only start an argument between us. And I don't want to argue with God. I want to lay in a hammock with him and trace the veins in his arms. I remind myself that I'm praying to the God who led the Israelites stay lost for decades. They begged to arrive in the promised land, but instead he let them wander, answering prayers they didn't pray. For 40 years, their shoes didn't wear out, and fire lit their path each night. Every morning, he sent them mercy bread from heaven. I look hard for the answers to the prayers I didn't pray. I look for the mercy bread that he promises to bake fresh for me every morning. The Israelites called it manna, which means what is it? That's the same question I'm asking again and again, said Jane. There's mercy here somewhere, but what is it? What is it? What is it? I see mercy in the dusty sunlight that outlines the trees, in my mother's crooked hands, in the blanket a friend made for me, in the harmony of the wind chimes. It is not the mercy I ask for, but it's mercy nonetheless. And I've learned a new prayer. Thank you. And it's a prayer that I don't mean yet, but I will repeat it until I do. Call me cursed, call me lost, call me scorned. But that's not all. Call me chosen, blessed, sought after. Call me the one who God whispers his secrets to. I'm the one whose belly is filled with those loaves of mercy that are just for me. Even on days when I'm not so sick, I sometimes go and lay on the mat in the bathroom floor in the afternoon light and I listen for him. I know it sounds crazy and I can't explain it, but I think God is there even now. I've heard it said that some people can't see God because they won't look low enough. And I think that's true. 
we have to look lower because God is on the bathroom floor. Hmm. So what do you think about that? Another writer, Angela Davis, she was writing about her own theological understanding of what's going on and trying to put, put words to some of the feelings that you feel as you hear words like that from someone who's really trying to think through, how does God mean this for my best? How is he working that for my good? Not in time and space in the future in eternity, but how is working God working this present darkness, this present difficulty for my good? Well, Jane, or Nightbird, as she goes by when she performs, she gives the answer from her blog. She said, I am so much more than the bad things that are happening to me. So what is her hope despite her circumstances? How can she say it's okay and not be a liar? I think that America and is captivated by her story because hope and joy that she's demonstrating is not the natural response to when illness and divorce make your dreams fall apart. Where does her faith come from? Nightbird said in an interview, I believe that God can heal me in an instant. I also believe that no good thing does he withhold from me. So there is something that God is growing in the field that is me. And if God had pulled up all the hardship too soon, it would have pulled up all the miracles he's doing in my spirit. When it comes to pain, what's obvious is, is that God isn't in the business of taking it away. God is in the business of sending light into the darkness. No, sometimes God actually adds to the pain and adds to the darkness and adds to the grief. He doesn't spare us of the thirsts that we feel in this life, but He brings us water. He doesn't cure loneliness like that when we pray for it, but He comes near and joins us. Therefore, this speaks to one of the emotional objections we have about Romans 8.28. Because if we believe that when we're in pain, God must not love us, maybe instead, when we're in pain, this is precisely when God has drawn near to us 
and is giving us himself in another blog entry. Jane wrote, I am still reeling. I'm drenched in sorrow. I am begging, bargaining, demanding, disappearing. I guess I have all the more reason to say thank you because clearly God is drawing near to me again and again and again and again, no matter how many times I've sent him away. And so is there a more humble place for God to meet us than the bathroom floor in the midst of cancer? Yes, on the cross. Listen to this. Think about this. God the Son took on flesh, entering into the sin-ravaged, cancer-stricken world to deliver us from it. Jesus willingly went to the cross. He experienced the suffering our sin deserves in order to give us everything he merited in his perfect life and perfect death. The cross is your and mine. It's our bathroom floor. And that's where he met us. The very place where we stood among the mockers condemning him. The very place where our own sins drove the nails in his hands. That's where he met us. That is the hope that Romans 8.28 properly understood, properly lived out communicates to the world. It's a hope that the world, though captive to sin, that hope cannot be attained by itself. It's a hope that only the gospel reveals to us. Not just to endure suffering, but to rejoice in suffering to be able to say thank you and start to mean it. What about you? We've been struggling over the last year. Even if you were COVID-free, like 70% of our congregation, you were lonely and isolated. If you've been reading the news, you have felt a sense of in injustice at what's been going on, maybe even guilt. And it's all been very present. Does Romans 8.28, when I say it to you this morning, sound like mockery? Or is this the week when God will begin to teach us to sing songs in the night like the night bird? As we reflect on our last year and how difficult it has been, and Romans 8.28 now begins to draw into focus, partially through this wonderful example from Jane Marcheski. Maybe this gives us some new language to call out to God.
for help and hope. And we will finally begin to believe that he's answering our prayers. Let us pray. Father, Son, and Spirit, many of us are still reeling, still drenched in sorrow, still on the bathroom floor. And we're angry, perhaps, that you've been so slow to relieve us of the indignity of where we are. The indignity of mental illness. The indignity of physical illness. The indignity of anxiety and pressures from work. We ask you today, Father, to show us how you have drawn near to your people in the midst of our sorrows, that you have not rejected us, but instead you have called us. Instead, you have loved us, justified us, and that even today, even in the midst of the grindstone that we feel like our flesh has been attached to now for so long that you are present with something better than answers. You are present yourself. You've given us yourself. And for that, we say thank you. And it's in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray. And God's people said, amen.